They say the world can be hard, cruel, and ugly. Trust me, it gets worse if you're hungry and thirst. Doesn't push you from position, last place to first. Can't build a foundation without having feet in the dirt. So I put in the work, grind harder than most. I don't chase accolades of the living, I'm facing a ghost. That's what makes me the GOAT. Depending on who you ask, my brother, whatever task. Got it covered like a mask, guaranteed they can't see me at the open run. Cause I cook competitors until they look well done. Don't act like you don't know where I held from. I had to climb about the trenches, sit on benches till my time had come. Don't be mad at the player, be mad at the game. Sneak this in the hating, that's a flag on the play. Me falling off, huh? That'll be the day I'm like, bolt in the race, leave the track, flambe, it's the open run. When someone says they believe in you, how do they exhibit that? Words, actions, a combination of the two? Growing up, I don't know if I really believed anyone believed in what I was doing, if what I wanted in this life. As a kid, you don't know that you're supposed to believe in yourself first and foremost. You just hope that the people who take care of you, your caregivers, your friends, your family, whatever the case might be, they will support your dream, your thoughts, your wants, your needs, your fears. And you would do that in return. I think that's part of the reciprocal relationship you have sometimes, and you should have, I guess, with the people you care about. Seems like it makes sense to me. Some people need more than most. I get it. It happens. But it always made me wonder, mostly because I would suggest or try to do things or not even try. I don't really use the word try. Try is an empty calorie word to me. But I would do things that weren't necessarily part of the script. The script that was given to me based on being a young black boy from the inner city or a young black boy from the inner city trying to go to university or a young black boy doing doing stuff that was not expected. And that's not really a word I use a whole lot. Expectation. Not a thing I do. I don't deal with it. So I'm always at war with myself in that way, or at least when I, when I was younger. The eternal struggle between the heart and the mind. See... The mind knows no feeling, the heart knows no logic, therefore the eternal struggle. I felt one way, but I knew something else. And when you go with your gut, you go in that feeling that you can achieve the thing you want. I've done that on many occasions in my life. Whether being told as a kid I, I should get a skilled trade because school is not for me. And you know, the American dream for black people was to aspire to the same thing and apparently White people are supposed to aspire to the American dream of having the home, the car, food in the kitchen, on the table, and a future. Didn't always work out like that. And the great George Carlin once said that the only way you can achieve the American dream is by being asleep. And I want to be alive for mine and awake and aware. But what was it? How do you shape that? I was trying to figure that out. I noticed a lot when I would verbalize my dreams, the things I wanted in this life, the things I really, really wanted to do. They were met with derision, with doubt, with fear. I learned to look at fear as I'm walking by it, nod, acknowledge its presence, and keep it pushing. It's going to be there regardless. But so is the opportunity for me to reach ultimate success. The great and immortal Negro poet, Marvelous Marvin Hagler once said, War, that's what's on my mind. Feed the faith and starve the doubt. And that's what we do each and every week here on the podcast. So I'd like to welcome you to The Open Run with Will Strickland. That would be me. The Open Run with Will Strickland is brought to you by the fine folks at Press. We are press.net. 
I can be found across these rough interweb streets as W underscore Strickland and the number one on Twitter, Will Strickland and the number one on IG and across all streaming platforms where podcasts can be found, especially at anchor.fm. Feed the faith and starve the doubt. I didn't know how to feed the faith. My insecurities used to kill me as a kid. And times they still do. But my belief is stronger than your doubt. I know that now. Because I've seen the things that have happened. Because I took that chance on myself, took that chance on an idea, and start to see it come to fruition is a beautiful thing. I think about guys in the NBA like Fred Van Vliet, who better than himself, a guy who was undrafted, had a draft party. You know, he had a stellar college career. His team was 38-0 until they reached the Final Four, Elite Eight, one of the two, in the NCAA tournament his senior year. You could tell that Fred was a winner. He felt like his skills would translate in the NBA. Team drafting didn't think so. Went in undrafted, worked, 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 questioned whether he could make it too small, not fast enough, not athletic enough. Ends up winning a G League championship with the Raptors 905, along with Pascal Siakam and Norman Powell and Jakob Podol, guys like that who are all still having pretty solid NBA careers. At least three of them, outside of Fred, had picked up quality checks in the National Basketball Association. And when I say quality, I mean, I'm talking about, you know, close to $100 million. Man, a million dollars is a quality check. But really, they're making good money playing a game they would play for free. Ask them. They win a G League championship, go on to help a team in 2019 win an NBA championship. The older guys move on. Kyle Leonard, who was the rental, moved on. Now these guys are the leaders of the pack. The core was still there until Norman Powell was traded. Norman Powell's now in Los Angeles on a very good Clippers team. As we preview the NBA a little bit later, you'll find out if they have anything to do with what's going on in the West as we move forward toward the 2022-2023 NBA season. But Van Vliet, oh, he got the bag, as young people say today. He earned that the hard way. Same thing with Jimmy Butler III, 29th or 27th. I think he was 29th pick in his draft year. Guy that came in just played, was a star in his role. The Derrick Rose injury gave him an opportunity. A lot of guys that could have stepped up. Luol Dang, Carlos Boozer before he was gone, Jokum Noah. But Jimmy Butler stepped up. He was a guy that had the trust of their coach then, uh, who was Tom Thibodeau, to play 40. I mean, you know, the, the, the thing was with Tibbs that he would run his players into the ground. Some people say he did the same thing with Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose's body broke down. I don't know. Jimmy Butler's been okay since. So, At any rate, Jimmy Butler was not a lottery pick. He was a guy who was picked in the first round. There are only two rounds, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. But when you're drafted outside of the lottery, you still have a lot to prove because there's nothing really guaranteed, especially toward the end of the first round, and nothing guaranteed at all in the second round. Now, Jimmy Butler is a borderline Hall of Famer. I know some people say it's so easy to get into the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. No, it's not. You've never been in there. That's your assessment because your guys haven't gotten in there. You don't understand the criteria. Cool. Even though the criteria seem to move every year. So that, I have to side with the people who think it's easy to get in on that part of it. But it's not. You have to have a body of work that makes sense. And again, remember, it's not necessarily always the Hall of Achievement. And so much as is the Hall of Fame. Were you famous? Shout out to my man, Robert Keith Ory, as I say that. He of seven rings. And Nick Nomenclature, well known. 
throughout the basketball universe, Jimmy Butler better on himself as well. Why couldn't I? So when I saw my friend Bobito Garcia starting this thing called Full Court 21, I watched, observed first, just to make sure, like, what is this thing he's doing? It seems like a lot of fun. When he started in 2013, I just watched. By 2015, I was ready to rock, but I was going to litmus test. And I litmus tested in two markets in Canada, Toronto and Vancouver. At the time, I thought those were the two biggest markets. I found out later that Montreal is actually bigger than Vancouver. Perceptions and realities, I suppose. Go there, and the resonance from that was so incredible. How many cities called and said, hey, can we get this in our city? We love this. I could have been greedy about it. Try to do 30 cities in an entire summer. It's already hard enough to do five, as we're doing right now. But do 30? That would be me being stupid and short-sighted. So we selected three others that seemed to cover the rest of the country and added Montreal, Edmonton, and Halifax to the mix. But how was I going to do this? I had never run a tournament before in my life. Been in millions of tournaments. I played in a bunch. But this wasn't your normal one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, five-on-five tournament. This was the world's only application of one-on-five basketball. 21. Caused different things in different parts of the world. I'm sure I said this ad nauseum on the podcast. In Halifax, they call it St. Mary's. Sometimes in Toronto, they call it American. In New York. If you're in Brooklyn, they call it Utah, but if you're at West 4th in Manhattan, they call it 21 in the same city. It's 26 in South Carolina, 36 in Tennessee and Kentucky. No free throws. Get it how you live. You got to body up. But the concept is still the same. In Philly, they call it roughhouse. You can't call fouls. We democratize it a bit. We have two referees. We play full court instead of half court. You're only allowed three fouls. Normally when you play out in the park, you can foul indiscriminately or until the fight starts. Whichever one you prefer, make sure your knuckle-up game is proper, depending upon where you rest. It was something I believed in because I've collaborated with Bobby on a number of things, whether it's sneaker stuff or he's just a good person to deal with. It's my guy. It's my brother. I love him. And we've been doing stuff together since we first met. Almost 35 years ago, which sounds crazy to say because I look good for an old dude. Hopefully black don't crack. At least that's what my grandmother told me, bless the day. And so I look at the years we've been doing this. The first year, our first winners, Royce Sargent in Vancouver. He's the first winner ever. Guy was just at the court with holes in his shoes. Wins the whole thing. Come to Toronto, my man Aaron Duncan won it. A.K.A. Mr. Madface, according to Bobby Dog. But then after that, when we expanded, guys started to dominate their marketplaces. My man Dustin Gatsky in Edmonton, a three-time winner there. Gabe Gibbs, Demi Harris, Dom Dom the Phenomenon, Dominic Bakuteka out there in Vancouver. as a winning. Shouts out to Jose Rodriguez, too. So we had some different winners out there in Vancouver. I don't know if the guys really were into it at first, but I think they're starting to get into it. And Vancouver is a great market for us. Shouts out to my man Blake and Steve Lee, who helped us put our feet on the ground and, and explore new territory. Shouts out to Sonny Such, Eric Mandance, my man Greg Francis out there in Edmonton, helping us to plant our flag in Montreal. My man Mario Joseph, the head coach of UQAM, University of Quebec at Montreal, he was the first guy to help me out out there. Of course, shouts out to Mark Bain from Nike. But Michael Farkas and those guys over at Youth in Motion. Park Oscar Peterson. We had a couple of different champions in Montreal. And I'm glad to say 
even though we did have the, our first champion, my man Jawani, in 2016 was from Montreal. After that, a bunch of cats were coming from out of town, winning the Montreal championship, whether it be Nolan or Manny, who went on to win the 2017 and 2018 All-World Championships in New York City, respectively. Then we finally, you know, I can't disrespect my man, Jesse John Washington, who had won three times in Philadelphia and said, hey, I like those prizes and I want to take a trip. Drives nine and a half hours at the age of 50 with two kids in tow to Montreal and wins the whole thing in 100 degree weather. It's not a fairy tale. It happened. Shout out to my man, Jesse, for doing that. But this year, having Prince Oviawi win it all. It's dope. And I hope I'm not disrespecting my man, Keenan King Caribou, the first indigenous athlete to win qualifier here in Canada. One from Edmonton, a.k.a. Los Vegas. The young new guys coming in. I love the new blood that's coming in because our veterans hold us down. The Demis, the Nolans, the Mannies, Manny Campbell, a.k.a. Move the Crowd. Nolan Goody, a.k.a. 50-50, a.k.a. School Safety. They have Nick nomenclature. My man, Demi Sosa. Whenever he scores a basket, you guys got to scream out Sosa this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. But Halifax, shout out to Jaden Norton, who won the one year that Julius McGee didn't win. And when you look at Julius, you're like, this little cat is not going to win nothing, Joe. Three-time winner in Halifax, including defeating the 2017 All-World Champion Nolan Gooding twice. Julius, I did my homework, Dad. Now King Julius McGee, three-time winner in Halifax, a.k.a. Haligonia, a.k.a. Hollywood, California. Now you have a new champion, Reese the Beast Zorgole, who's going to be here. So for Reese, for Keenan, for Dom, for Prince, the Youngblood, we salute you. To the OGs, forever eternally grateful. To your contribution to the world's most unique basketball tournament, Full Court 21, and our first ever, the inaugural All-Canadian Final at the Waterfront Neighborhood Center. Queens Key and Bathurst, downtown Toronto, Ontario, Canada, Saturday, August 20th, 2022, from 2 to 5 p.m. Come on out, fans and friends alike, sponsored by eBay Canada. Shouts out to Shereen Edros, the head of sneakers at eBay Canada. Our sponsor, our partner, great partner to have. She's so engaged and involved. We're not only giving away sneakers for the winners of this event, we're also giving away sneakers and prizes to the fans who come out and support Full Court 21. So make sure you come out. So make sure you show up. And we're going to make sure the players show out. And you make sure you come back for more of the open run with Will Strickland on the other side of this. giving you more of what you asked for it's the open run with will strickland in conversation with you the listeners that's what we do here on the podcast with basketball and life r1 this past weekend or this past week i should say the prognosticators the experts the insiders at disney sports aka the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, or ESPN, have preseason predictions. Now, I don't know if this is going to qualify as my Do Work Awards, because I haven't given these awards. I'm just going to tell you who are the people they're saying are on this list, because I haven't given the award yet. So, yes, we're going to have the preseason awards 
later on this year, right before the season starts for sure, with some very special guests. For the time being, let me share with you what ESPN thought about the upcoming 2022-23 season. As a matter of fact, let's start with the MVP. I'm going to go from the top of their list to the bottom of their list with each of these categories at most valuable player. Number one, Giannis, Ugo, LaTerrence Atentacumpo. Number two, Luca Lamar, that's with two R's, Doncic. Number three, Joel Embiid, Joel Hans Embiid, the Colonel's son. And number four, Wardell Stephen Curry II. And number five, the returning, Kawhi Anthony Leonard in a tie with Antimetrius Jamel Morant. You must trust at five. These are their preseason predictions for most valuable player. There's some players notable from this list who may be missing, according to some people. One in particular, Anthony Davis coming back off of injury, much like Quiet Leonard. I'm sorry, Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. And of course, the hashtag, he who shan't be named. A man who scored 30 points per game in his 19th season in the National Basketball Association and who recently on the Rich Eisen show was noted by one Julius Winfield Irving II. A man who carried two leagues on his back until he got help from Larry Joe Bird and Irvin Johnson Jr. The hashtag, when he's all said and done, when he plays until his 40s, when he plays 23 seasons in the NBA, will have to be acknowledged as the greatest who ever did it, no matter what. Almost certain many of you disagree, and many of you don't. But I'd love to hear your feedback. you got my socials already. You know the deal. Get at me. Now, Rookie of the Year. Paolo Banquero. He'll have a nickname. Trust me, before the end of the year, I can guarantee you I'll have one for him. Chet Holmgren. Jaden Ivey is going to be in a great backcourt there. I, I like the way they look with Kate Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. Like, it's a lot of athleticism, a lot of smarts. I like what Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey are doing in Detroit. Hope they get the chance to see it through. Keegan Murray in that Rookie of the Year. He's going to sneak up on a lot of people. By the end of the season, he won't be a surprise anymore especially to me. Jabari Smith, who I don't know if he's going to make it. I don't know. I like his his game in college, but I don't know. I just feel a certain way about Jabari Smith right now. Benedict Matherin, Montreal's finest. Shout out to him. I think he could sneak in there, especially with the moves they made in Indiana. So let's see. At Coach of the Year, Ime Udoka, who I thought should have gotten it last year, but that's a whole other conversation. Tyron Lue, highly coveted Tyron Lue. Great relationships around the league. When he was a player and also as a coach. And number three, a guy who should have won at least once. Eric Spolster down in Miami. Jason Frederick Kidd in Dallas. And Chris Finch in Minnesota. A lot of expectations on that team and their future as well. Because of the trades and the greatness of Kermit Wiltz. A.K.A. A1 since day one. Anthony Edwards. Shout out to that young man. Defensive player of the year. The newest Timberwolf. The guy who's had more shots of his own blocked to the rim than any other player and the NBA, since they started keeping this stat in the 96-97 season, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Bam Adebayo after him. Giannis, again, on the Defensive Player of the Year at number three. Mikel Bridges at number four. Marcus Smart, who has a chip on his shoulder once they brought Malcolm Brogdon in. And all the people are saying, hey, we got a true point guard. He's like, yeah, this non-true point guard. You know, the former National Player of the Year, who was a point guard for this team, Got them to the NBA Finals, the multiple Eastern Conference Finals. What has Malcolm Brogdon done? That's not what Marcus Smart said, but this is a good question to ask in the face of the criticisms or concerns about a quality point guard for Boston. 
And last but not least, in a tie, actually, for Marcus Smart, who's going to take away some votes for him, the Time Lord, Robert Williams III. In the sixth man of the year race, Jordan Poole is at the top of the list, along with Malcolm Brockton of the Boston Celtics. Jonathan Hildred Wall Jr., the resurrection in L.A., we'll see. Kyle Hero, who I thought was, you know, he was a runaway winner this past year. But is he satisfied with being the sixth man for the rest of his life? Cameron Johnson in Phoenix, one of the most versatile players and a guy who's like, you know, one of those guys that people said, oh, I don't know about him. He wasn't that great in college. He's going to get an opportunity to do some more things this year, I believe. Monty Williams, who just re-upped his contract not long ago. Of course, terms were not disclosed. That's what they do with the coaches. And last but not least, Spencer Dinwiddie, who's really going to have to step it up and fill in the role that Jalen Brunson just left for $104 million in New York City. For most improved player, and I believe he's going to get this, even though at a certain point, when do you stop being nominated for most improved? But A1 since day one, on that list at the very top, Anthony Edwards from Minnesota, Tyrese Halliburton, Indiana Pacers. Just below that, Jalen Brunson of the New York Knickerbockers, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. from the Houston Rockets. They have to improve on that record for, in order for these guys to get that award. I believe that. They have to win at least 40 games this year. Is it possible? I don't know. Season of, of experience under the belts for them and the, the, the rest of that very, very young squad of Stephen Silas's in H-Town. Get down this year. Let's see it. And last but not least, a guy who I, after you make the all-star team, I don't know if you, if you should be able to be LaMelo LaFrance Ball. They predicted also who's going to win the Eastern Conference. So at top, they had the Boston Celtics repeating, followed by Milwaukee. Philadelphia, Miami, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Toronto Raptors. When we go out west, looking like a repeat, the Western Conference champions at the top of the list, the NBA champions at the top of the list, the Golden State Warriors, followed by the Los Angeles Clippers. Yes, that's what they said, but that happens almost every year, doesn't it? I'll leave that alone for now. The Phoenix Suns at number three, the Dallas Mavericks at number four, the Denver Nuggets getting back Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Going to be potent. Will they shore up that defense, though? They're going to need that defense later on in the season. And I know that the back-to-back MVP, Nikola Jermaine Jokic, can hold it down, but for how long? And at number five, the Minnesota Timberwolves. Lots of high expectation for these guys. I'm looking forward to the season. Who's going to be the champion? Well, I guess in their voting, the Golden State Warriors will repeat, followed by the Los Angeles Clippers, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, and the Phoenix Suns, who I don't know, the Suns now take over that spot that was once occupied by the Utah Jazz. Very good team, just not good enough to make it over the hump and make it back to the finals again. We'll soon find out. But in the meantime, in between time, make it your mission to win the title and come back to listen to more of The Open Run with Will Strickland. You are now listening to the sounds of The Open Run with Will Strickland, where the lecture is conducted from the mic of the speaker. It is now time for some W and D. A action. The playoffs are upon us. Coming up this Wednesday, 
August 17th, but some things need to be addressed according to the president of the Players Association, Neka Ogumake of the LA Sparks, who just recently was recording her frustrations while in the airport missing flights because they had to fly commercial in the WNBA so that just like any other citizens and not just professional athletes who just so also happen to be just citizens and they're not able to be at maximum or optimal playing ability because they are stranded in the airport. And this is something in the CBA that has to be addressed. I think it's really important, even though they just, and I mean just, signed a great CBA. But maybe that was something that was non-negotiable because it wasn't in there. I don't know why not. Now, to be clear, especially based on what happened with Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets and the New York Liberty, who chartered flights for his players so they can have some sort of competitive advantage and be okay before the games to get the maximum out of his investment. I get it. What? A $500,000 fine to a guy who can do that? Like finding a quarter in his car seat. He doesn't care. But the CBA is there for a reason. To make sure that everyone's on an even playing field. But they need to address that. Now, for the finals of the WNBA, all the flights will be chartered. I know it's a growth process. I know it takes some time. And everyone says, oh, there's technology and time of change. You cannot compare the WNBA to the NBA of 40 or 50 years ago. It's hard to do that. I understand they have to make more money to do the things they want to do, 100%. It's partially subsidized by the NBA. Understand that. But it's modern times. And modern times call for modern solutions. Why did I hear just Dave Chappelle in my head just now? Let me stop. But hopefully sooner than later, the WNBA will figure that out. It just won't happen this year. In the game of the week that actually determined the final seedings for the WNBA playoffs, the Las Vegas Aces versus the Chicago Sky, really good game. But the team that was behind the Sky, who had the top record in the league at the time, were the Aces, who started off very fast. But as we say on this podcast, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. We'll talk about that a little bit later. End up defeating the Sky again after he defeated them in the Commissioner's Cup. Is this a sign of things to come? It looked like a WNBA Finals matchup. Jackie Young went off in the third quarter. Kalea Copper kept him in the game on the Chicago Sky end, but was not enough as Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, and the closer, Chelsea Gray, helped to shut the books on the Chicago Sky. I'm looking forward to the playoff matchups because right now, as I said before, the playoffs start August 17th. That's a Wednesday. And if you're not watching, you're not supporting then what are you talking about? Let's make it happen. The ladies can hoop. The one seed versus the eight seed matchup between Las Vegas and Phoenix is going to be something to watch. I think that Vegas clears this up quick and allows Phoenix to go home because they've had a hell of a season. I don't mean that in the best of ways. It's been a trying season for that team. Matter of fact, with Skylar Dickens taking off the last couple of games of the season for personal reasons, will she show up for the first round of the playoffs? Will Diana Taurasi be back? Because if not, they have zero chance against one of the top teams in the WNBA. Did I say Skylar Dickens again? I don't think I did. Skylar Dickens. Skylar Dickens. Just add that in there so you know. But hopefully she's well and that it's not too serious for personal reasons. But, you know, give her the grace and the space she needs to make that happen. The 2-7 matchup between Chicago and New York Liberty could be interesting for a minute. Sabrina Inescu is playing at a high level. 
But Najah Laney, if she shows up for the playoffs, can be a, a minor irritant for a team that's not going to get shaken off their square too easily. Although they've been a little bit shaky against the top teams late. Talking about the Sky versus the Storm and also against the Aces. Something to watch. Just saying. Something to watch. Do I think that New York has a chance? Mm, not really. Because they have Candace Parker in Chicago, the first woman in WNBA history to score 6,000 points, get 3,000 rebounds, and dish out 1,500 assists. So shout out to the future first ballot Hall of Famer, Candace Parker. I think Chicago takes this easily. At the number three versus six matchup, the Connecticut Sun versus the Dallas Wings with the killer from Dallas, Enrique Ongunwale, being out the first round because of a pulled abdominal. She had some sort of crazy abdominal strain that I cannot even pronounce. It's that bad. She suffered that against Indiana just recently, and she's going to be out for the entire first round of the playoffs. They might not make it out of the first round against a very good Connecticut team. Alyssa Thomas, John Quill Jones, they're going to be okay. I don't see Dallas actually making it out of the first round either. I think it's going to go to form for the first three seeds. But 4-5 matchup is going to be very, very interesting. Because you have the experience and the know-how. And of course, the sentimental reasons. See Seattle move on beyond the first round with Sue Bird retiring this year. Tina Charles coming there from Phoenix. Making a difference in the middle along with Brianna Stewart, who could be the MVP. We'll talk about that in a second. Jewel Lloyd. Like, they just have a squad and they know how to win. But let's not dismiss the 2019 WNBA champions. Though they're missing Emma Mieserman, who is now with Chicago. They're still competing. They still have Elena Deladon. They still have Shakira Austin. They're going to be very competitive against the Storm. I'm looking forward to this more than any other first round matchup, to tell you the truth. Because I think it's going to be competitive. I think it's going to go the full series. And I do believe, I don't want to call an upset. I'm not going to call an upset. But I don't think that Washington will have enough later on. And so we'll see probably the first four seeds go through to the second round. They handed out predictions on who's going to win the awards. And this would be for sure a Do Work Award nominee or a Do Work Award show for the WNBA. It would be the first time I've ever done it. But, you know, I haven't given out the award. And maybe I'll leave that for the award show at the end of the playoffs. Or maybe next week. Let's give away the awards. You know what? I'm going to give away the awards right now. So let's call this the WNBA inaugural Do Work Awards for the 2022 WNBA season. MVP is between Asia Wilson, averaging 20 and 10. Brianna Stewart, the leading scorer in the league, multiple-time champion, been an MVP as well. And Kelsey Plum. The leader of the pack in Las Vegas. Does Kelsey Plum's nomination kind of take away from Asia Wilson's? Maybe. But I'm going with Asia Wilson, who's increased her game in so many different facets. Had to switch positions from power forward to center. Took that over when Liz Cambage left. Done a great job. Shouts out to Kia Stokes, friend of the podcast and friend of Full Court 21 Canada when she was playing in New York. Came out, supported. She's been a great, great help in Las Vegas, but Asia Wilson stepping out the three-point line, shooting an all-time career high from three, just rounding out her game even more, and could be the defensive player of the year as well. So my pick out of those three is Asia Wilson, University of South Carolina's finest. Shout out to Columbia, South Carolina, and Asia Wilson. Rookie of the year, it's a no-brainer for me, Ryan Howard. Not even going to put as much as I like Shakira Austin, 
And once she's done, Ryan Howard is easily the rookie of the year in the WNBA. Defensive player of the year was pretty tough between three women who all have earned the right to call themselves defensive player of the year this season, including Asia Wilson, John Quill Jones, last year's defensive player of the year and MVP, and the indomitable Candace Parker. My selection? Let's make it a double-double for Asia Wilson. I'm liking it. 20-10. and 10. It's hard to beat. One of the top rebounders in the league. One of the top scorers in the league. On the top team in the league. Hard to take that away from her. Coach of the year for me, although James Wade from the Chicago Sky should get noticed. I mean, he won a championship last year with Chicago. And also, for everything they've gone through in the Valley of the Sun, I put Vanessa Nygaard in there. And she said some silly stuff this year about VG and the hashtag he who shan't be named. I thought it was lazy and misguided. But that doesn't take away from the fact that she's held this team together and got them to the playoffs. For the 10th straight year, they've made the playoffs. I think that's the WNBA record as well. So shout out to Miss Nygaard for the job she's done there. But I got to give it up for a team that didn't make the playoffs, was expected to be the worst team in the league, and knocked on the door of the playoffs this year. And Tanisha Wright in Atlanta. They had to revamp their whole program, bring in a star like Ryan Howard. And I think she's done an amazing job there in Atlanta. So shout out to our Coach of the Year on the Do Work Awards here on the Open Run. Will Strickland, Tanisha Wright, Atlanta Dream. Most improved player? Just talked about her. The killer in the third quarter for the Las Vegas Aces, Jackie Young, one of the leading scorers in the league. She's really done well for herself there, and I think it's going to help her in the playoffs because I watched how she took over in the third quarter, and no one had an issue with it. I love that about teams. When they can see that somebody's rolling, they ride that until they can't ride it anymore. And Jackie Young was doing work in this very, very decisive game between the Aces and the Sky. She's my most improved player over Sabrina Ionescu of the New York Liberty. I mean, she's a triple-double machine, and she's only going to get better. And I think that next year, there's going to be a smash teammate signing. It's going to help them make the next step in New York after a couple of disappointing seasons for sure. And sixth person in the year, there's no one else for me personally. A person who was a starter who showed great maturity in going to the bench and being able to help her team is Brianna Jones, Connecticut's son. There are no other people who can be sixth person of the year for me in my voting. So there you have it for all the individual awards. The first team award, they've gone positionless, as I said last week. And my first team, Kelsey Plum, Candace Parker, John Cole Jones, Brianna Stewart, and Asia Wilson. But if I had to go by positions, backcourt, frontcourt, however you want to do it, I did it backcourt and frontcourt because... When you play the point guard in the WNBA, and you play point guard in the league sometimes, you're almost like a killer too. You can't just be the prototypical point guard. So I had Kelsey Plum, Skylar Dickens-Smith, Skylar Dickens, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart, and Asia Wilson. All these women have done great in supporting quality basketball for the Women's National Basketball Association, but this would not have been possible at all without the efforts of the USA Basketball in the 1996 Olympics in Atlanta. And the dream team, on at least on the women's side in 1996, who were just as quality and just as revered in the women's game as the men are from 92. An ESPN 30 for 30 documentary that came out June 15th called Dream On about the 1996 Olympic team, about the team that was the impetus for creating the WNBA in the first place. If they had lost, we might not see the WNBA. But you think about some of the first battle Hall of Famers on that team. Lisa Leslie, Dawn Staley, 
Cheryl Swoops, the first woman to ever have her own sneaker in WNBA history. Maybe they didn't win by 44 points a game because they play overseas and they play internationally all the time. So some of these players were familiar with the games of some of the athletes that play for the United States. That does not make their impact any less. So salute to them. Salute to the WNBA. Salute to the playoffs. Shout out to my man Phil at the WNBA. And shout out to you for listening to us because it's not how we start. It's how we finish. And we're going to finish strong here on the open run with Will Strickland. So come back for more right after. You know the deal. now winning time on the open run with Will Strickland. I want to thank myself for being myself because my belief is that being said, it's now time for new views and truths at YouTube on the NBA and beyond. Happy 23rd birthday to Demetrius DeMel Morant, of course, and Henry Musk Plus. Also, happy 49th to this thing of ours called Hip Hop Culture, born August 11th. 1973 and last but not least I want to shout out the GOAT yes I said the GOAT Irvin Magic Johnson born 1959 but shout out to the GOAT Magic Johnson on his birthday a young man who is considered the GOAT by many here Kobe Bean Bryant who will celebrate his birthday one week from the posting of this podcast on August 23rd 2022 he would have been 44 years old and there's a trial going on right now over the photos that were leaked and stolen and passed around like party favors by the L.A. County Sheriff's Office, who thought it was just a joke. So restitution will be paid, one way or the other, to Vanessa Bryant and the Kobe Bryant estate because of the helicopter crash where nine perished, including Kobe and his then 13-year-old daughter, Gianna. And it made me think of this most deaf line that he says in a song called Thieves in the Night, how sometimes death is characterized in the black community by people outside of it is troublesome for sure. But this, no matter what the race, was just straight up ignorance by the LA County Sheriff's Office and shan't be tolerated. Happy belated birthday to my man, Anthony Edwards, A1 since day one. And of course, Patrick Aloysius Ewing celebrating his 60th. The man synonymous with everything Georgetown, pre Allen Iverson, hitting his 60th, shouts out to him, who he's also a part of the Dream Team 30 years ago, this past weekend, won the first gold medal with professional athletes from the United States in the Olympics. They beat teams by an average of 44 points. I didn't stutter. 44 points. The world has gotten a whole lot smaller, a lot less afraid of these mythical giants that were on the stage that became real when they played in games, including their leading scorer, Charles Wade Barkley. No, it wasn't Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Was not Magic Johnson or Larry Bird or Carl Malone or Patrick Ewing or David Robinson or, or any of the Clyde Drexler, Chris Mullen, John Stockton, should have been Isaiah, who were the leading scorer? It was Charles Barkley, the guy who told Angola they're about to be in trouble. He knew it. They were light years ahead of every basketball team and every basketball player in the world back in 1992. 30 years later, the game has changed dramatically around the world and for the better. So the players, not all as much because you have access, instant access to these players through social media, through a 
broaden television scope that we've gained over the past 30 years, national television deals and global television deals for the National Basketball Association. Want to celebrate the dream team, the greatest team ever assembled in sports history? There is an argument. I doubt there really is. Not for me. Shouts to my man, even though I'm not supposed to say this because he coaches at Michigan State. Go green, go white, go sparty. H to the Izzo, get more Dizzo. Tom Izzo, five years, $31 million extension to his contract. He's going to be coaching until his 70s there in East Lansing. Now, to be clear, I've only known two head coaches at Michigan State since I've been alive. One with Judd Heathcote. And who was on his bench? Tom Izzo. Tom Izzo winning the national championship after Judd Heathcote led Irvin Magic Johnson to a championship in 1979 in one of the highest rated and most watched games in television history. So shout out to Coach Izzo. Keep doing your thing. Your players love you. You are definitely the embodiment of what Michigan State basketball is all about. Shout out to your guy, Draymond Green, who got married this past weekend. I just saw this on social media, so I'm just throwing this in there. But shout out to Draymond Jamal Green Sr. On his marriage this weekend, his guys, the hashtag showed up for the party, of course. I don't know who else was there, but I saw that Clay Thompson got hypnotized this weekend or something. I didn't watch the video, so if you guys know something about it, let me know. You know the socials. You know what to do. Make it happen. It's a good thing they didn't have the wedding in Canada, though. There's no diss to Canada. I love Canada. But as an NBA player this season, if you're not vaccinated, you will gain no entry into the Great White North, and you will lose a game check. Those are just the rules. You got to play by those. That's how Canada's rolling right now. And talking about the rules and how the game is being played, Brandon Jennings, guy went overseas to exercise his options because he didn't want to go to school, made a million dollars going to play in Italy, if I'm not mistaken, back when he came into the league, scored 55 points. I think he has the rookie record for scoring from a guard, at least. I don't know if I thought Elgin Baylor had that. or I know Wilf has the rookie record. Pretty sure Wilf has that. Whatever the case is, Brandon Jennings, journeyman in the NBA, has some things to say about how the NBA is moving now and that a lot of the players don't have passion for the game. They don't love the game. That's why they try to move around and force their way out of contracts and stuff. And he says, well, is he taking a jab at the hashtag or other players? Maybe. Then he says, no, certain guys have earned the right to do that. But they've also won in those places. They've won where they've been. So they have the right to do that. Do you take the, the words of Brandon Jennings with a grain of salt or do you take heed to them? I mean, is there some truth? You can check it out online what Brandon Jennings is talking about. Let me know what you think about that. One of the guys he didn't mention, Kyrie Andrew Irving, the rumor is that for his new deal, he does not want to play back-to-back games and doesn't want to play any more than 60 games in the season. This speaks to what Brandon Jennings was talking about. Of course, the immediate denial once this report was leaked by Rick Buecher of Bleacher Report and other people around, other sources, word to Chris Broussard, this is what Kyrie wants in his new deal. He said, don't let the media brainwash you and everything else. And I get it. I know why they have this thing against Kyrie, but he feels like they do. And somehow those exacting numbers don't sound implausible if you didn't actually say something like that. But that's not for me to decide. You decide for yourselves and let me know. This sounds nuts. You don't want to play in back-to-backs and no more than 60 games, even though you pay for 82 games to your season tickets, or at least 41. If you're a season ticket holder in Brooklyn, not saying they're going to make the playoffs, so I can't count those. But yeah, is that true? I mean, I put mine on the table already. Kevin Durant, the man of many trade demands, 
is looking really hard at going somewhere like Philadelphia, then hanging out with James Harden in London. People are like, how's that going to work out? Hey, they made it work somehow in Brooklyn where they had Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. What's implausible about them having Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, and James Harden, other than the fact that somebody's going to start bitching before the season's done, if that ever happened. And they would only have three players because the rest of the guys would be coming from like G League. I'm talking about the bottom tier guys in the G League because that's all they could afford with those contracts on the roster. Will the NBA let that happen? Who knows? But Kevin Durant, who has been very, very dismissive of Steve Nash, the two-time MVP himself, Stephen John Nash, as a coach, it is rumored that the person Durant really wanted to coach them was Tyron Lue. And Kyrie wanted Phil Handy. It's part of the reason why they're saying, oh, we don't need a coach in their metaphysical way of saying it. You know, Kevin can coach the team or I can coach the team because the players know the game. Stop it. Guess who Steve Nash was? A player in the game. Guess who Sean Marks was? A player in the game. Generally, the guys on the bench next to him were players in the game. I wouldn't call Sean Marks a player like Steve Nash, but you get my meaning. They both played in the NBA for a while. Yes, Kyrie missed that part. Whatever the case might be, I was thinking about the story when they were talking about who Kyrie Irving wanted to coach them in Brooklyn. Phil Handy, the assistant coach for the LA Lakers and a very well-respected trainer of players in the league. He still trains Kyrie even in the offseason, even though they're not in the same teams. And on Gilbert Arenas' podcast, on his show, Phil Handy talked about Kobe Bryant, and we're going to be talking about Kobe a a lot next week for sure because his birthday and everything. But the story stuck, stuck out to me because it speaks to the work ethic of Kobe being Bryant and things he wanted to do to get better and why he would always be working at refining his game Think about game situations. He was obsessed with the game. And this shows. Phil Handy was like, look, when you're a basketball player, you come to the gym, you want to work at different spots. You want to work in your game. You want to be fluid. Kobe would stay at one spot and do a move over and over and over and over again until he had it mastered. Until he said, like, I want it to feel like my skin. I want it to feel like second nature. So when this, the situation scenario comes up in the game, I don't even think about it. I just do it. And that was something that stood out to him. It might stand out to you. Is we're going to have more stories about Kobe Bryant next week on next week's podcast, simply called Bean, episode 89, Bean of the Open Run with Will Strickland. But in this episode, the great Aaron Rodgers, discount double check Aaron Rodgers. He of one championship, Aaron Rodgers. He of unlimited talent, Aaron Rodgers, was recently quoted as saying he thought his career married one of an NBA player, one in particular. As a matter of fact, the hashtag, he who shan't be named. Uh, okay. Not sure I necessarily agree with that, but I read some of his rationale and, you know, the whole, you know, media scrutiny. I don't know, my guy. Popeyes and churches, they make chicken and the skin looks the same, but it ain't the same taste, my guy. And I don't even eat meat. But if you get the analogy, you and the hashtag ain't the same. I can't see it. As a matter of fact, what we are seeing is that new head coach Darvin Ham, GM Rob Palenka, and the hashtag met recently and decided that the offense should run through Anthony Marshawn Davis Jr. Best ability, availability, will he be able to do it or will the hashtag have to 
do what he did again last year. He's been trying to give him the keys to the car for, since he got there. People don't get that part. And they make it seem like, oh, it's such a big deal. No one else would... Jordan would never give the keys to the car. Relax. Relax. So what was he doing in Washington? Oh, that never happened. <laughs> Just stop. The man is 37 years old. He's going about to be 38 at the end of this year. Going into his 20th season in the NBA. With more mileage than any player in league history. And y'all are still tripping that he's going to give the keys to Anthony Davis? Come on, man. Relax. One thing we don't have to worry about. And very classy move that I think was apropos but should have happened years and years ago. Is the retirement of the number six by every team in the National Basketball Association due to the death of the greatest winner in team sports history, William Felton Russell, number six for the Boston Celtics. Now, some of the guys who are still wearing number six or wore number six last year, they're going to be grandfathered in. Of course, the hashtag wore number six and 3-6 Latvia, Chris Dapps, Porzingis wears number six. So they won't have to get rid of their numbers. But when they're done, no one else will ever wear the number six in the NBA again. Respect due. One of my favorite number sixes outside of Bill Russell in the hashtag when he decides to wear number six is, of course, Julius Winfield Irvin II, my favorite player of all time. The guy who gave me the spark to put the battery in my back to do the thing, to aspire to something greater than anyone else believed that I could achieve. And I don't know why I just thought about my son. I know he this, this person that I'm going to mention is very polarizing. But I'd be lying if I said that I didn't listen to his music back in the day, despite knowing that he was dirty as hell. Some of you still probably enjoy it and act like you don't. But I get it. But when I said something about a believing and achieving, all I could hear was, I believe I can fly and R. Kelly. And picking up my son from daycare when he was a little, little baby. And he's in the back seat. And I get the radio on low. I'm driving the freeway. And I hear somebody else singing with R. Kelly. And I look in the rearview mirror. My man has his fist balled up like he's in the song. His eyes are closed. And he's singing with the song. And he says, I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch the sky. I think about it every nighty day. What what the hell is nighty day, son? But he's like three or four. That's a, he's just mimicking what he hears. But the part that killed it for me, I almost had an accident. I kid you not, I had to pull over on the side of the road because I was laughing so hard my face and chest hurt for two days. Money goes, I think about it every nighty day. Woo! and threw his head back on the ad-lib, and I lost my mind. I know that's an aside for what we're talking about Bill Russell, but it actually tells me that, like, you can't tell me that the sky's the limit for the things you want to do, the places you want to go when there are footprints on the moon. And so until next week, do remember, do what's popular with the population, make sure you don't get beat off the dribble, and keep listening to The Open Run with Will Strickland. Rich Kid, my mellow, my man, the music maker, the sonic provider. Do what you do when you do it, sir. Easy.